perhaps with just the words, the word tranquility. Seek to enter into that state in whatever capacity you are able to enter that state. Enter into tranquility with alert mindfulness. you're experiencing your degree of tranquility, begin to think about the healing powers of love. How it heals relationships, how it heals mind, how it heals bodies, environments. And continue to think this way until a natural appreciation for this elixir for this medicine grows within you. So you can think about specific situations that you know of, social ailments, physical, mental, and think of how love has the power to heal those. your aspiration, your appreciation become, let your appreciation become an aspiration to be healed by this power and for you to become a means to heal with it.
and begin to bring to mind the personalities who offer you examples of perfect love, perfect loving, and aspire to love as they love. Don't just remember their name, but remember remember them and remember a specific incident, a specific story, a specific anecdote about that it that demonstrates their love. this aspiration to be healed and to heal with love, let it grow strong using those examples. Try to maintain that attitude of mind while you recite these verses. And as you recite them, recite them as they are your own wishes, your own aspirations.
with the wish to achieve, achieve the highest aim, which surpasses even the wish fulfillment gender. I shall train myself to at all times cherish sentient beings as supreme. Whenever I interact with others, I will view myself as inferior to all, and I will train myself to hold others superior from the depth of my heart. During all my activities, I will probe my mind, and as soon as an afflictive thunder arises, myself and others, I will train myself to confront it directly and avert it. When I encounter beings of unpleasant character, and those opposed by intense negative karma and suffering, and by finding the treasure of precious jewels, I will train myself to cherish them, for they are so well found. When others out of jealousy treat me wrongly with abuse and slander, I shall train to take the defeat upon myself and offer the victory to others. Even if one whom I have helped, or in whom I have placed great hope, gravely mistreats me in hurtful ways, I will train myself to view him as my sublime teacher. In brief, I will train myself to offer benefit and joy to all my mothers, both directly and indirectly, and respectfully take upon myself all the hurts and pains of my mothers. By ensuring that all this remains undefiled from the stains of the eight mundane concerns, and by understanding all things as illusions, I will train myself to be free of the bondage of clinging. And as you can see from these verses, what is essentially taking place is training your mind to regard things that you used to regard in a different way. So it's not so much that you are taking uh, something foreign to your mind. something foreign to your mind, you have to go to some foreign place, you don't have to do some foreign thing, you don't have to do something that is very strange, you don't have to uh, do anything that uh, basically uh, contrary to behavior in order for you to develop the aim of, this, of these verses, which is to be able to develop what we're calling here universal love. The, usually, 
um, you could say the path that is taken by these trainings, these mind trainings, are more on the line of compassion. They ask you to consider more pain and then to develop a proper response to that. Because uh, compassion deals mainly with, uh, with looking at pain, looking at someone else's pain and then perceiving that pain as though it is your own and in the same way that you react to pain that comes in your own mind, to your own life, you react for that, for that person in, in that same way. Yeah. Uh, in the Dhammapada, in the very beginning of the Dhammapada where the Buddha is, uh, let me try to find the exact words, very simple, but don't always remember the exact words. In the very beginning of the Dhammapada, the Buddha is saying basically uh, what you experience in the world, what you experience in your life comes from your mind. And so the first four verses of the Dhammapada. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. It is founded on our thoughts. It is made up of our thoughts. Now, these, this first uh, line may seem to be saying that everything is, uh, you know, the substance of thought, but the, the, that's not what it's actually saying. It's saying that our experience comes from what goes on in our minds. Okay? So if a man, and that's why he explains, if a man speaks or acts with an evil thought, pain follows him as the wheel follows the foot of the, of the ox that draws the carriage. And then all that we are is the result of what we have thought. It is founded on our thoughts. It is made up of our thoughts. And if a man speaks or acts with a pure thought, happiness follows him like a shadow that never leaves him. So this seems to be very simple. If there is pain in your life in whatever degree, it, according to this, it's because uh, we spoke or acted under the influence of what is uh, of, of some degree of what may be called evil thought, evil thinking. Now, evil thinking is not necessarily one uh, plotting to kill someone or plotting to blow something up. It's the everyday uh, kind of thought that comes up in our mind. That's what we have to be careful with. That's what we have to watch. When we, whenever we interact with someone, either directly or when we interact with someone either in our own minds, how are we, inter how are we relating with that person? How are we interacting with that person? Are we thinking in terms of their benefit? Are we thinking of taking advantage of them? Are we thinking of taking revenge in some, in, in some way or another? So these, kind, these are the uh, these streams of thought is what is creating our experience in life. So, the the next two verses, he abused me, he beat me, he defeated me, he robbed me. In those who harbor such thoughts, hatred will never cease. So, if 
the kinds of thought that you habituate your mind to consider on a daily basis. If they are concerned with what wrong has been done to you, eventually, of course, the natural reaction you will have, the natural psychological reaction is that you will, you, you, you will hate the person or you will have uh, disliking for the person. If all you consider or the misfortune that, that you experience in, in relation to that person. Now, if you do the reverse, if you do not, uh, the way it is stated is simply in, in the negative. He abused me, he beat me, he defeated me, he robbed me. In those who do not harbor such thoughts, hatred will cease. And why do we want hatred to, be, to, to, to cease? For hatred does not cease by hatred at any time. Hatred ceases by love. And the Buddha ends that with, uh, by saying this is an old rule. An old rule, not in the sense of somebody came up with that. But rather, this is how the universe works. This is how, whatever, wherever you find existence, wherever you find things that exist or relating with each other, this is how the very nature of what makes them exist, this is its nature. So the reason that I read these few verses from the Dhammapada is to sort of tell you that this is not too far. The eight verses, the Dhammapada is, is, a, is a text that every school of Buddhism agrees with, uh, accepts, whether they are uh, following Theravada or, or some sort of Mahayana Buddhism, whether they're following Vajrayana or, or Sutrayana. So the eight verse is supposed to be a Mahayana text, which is, uh, uh, the aim of it is to help you to develop that determination to become a fully enlightened being for the sake of others. And how, and, and how do you train yourself to be able to develop that kind of attitude? So it has to do with, and you notice in all the verses it talks about different situations where naturally the way we, we would have reacted is actually uh, stopping us from being able to achieve this highest aim. How do we achieve this highest aim? It has to do with how we relate with others. When they behave towards us in a certain way, how should we react towards that behavior? And what will determine how we behave towards that person is how, what kind of thoughts we entertain in our minds on a daily basis. If we entertain in our minds, uh, like somebody could be very, uh, I, I think I gave that example last time, there was a Twilight Zone episode, I remember a long time ago, there was this like very old man who worked in a bank like for almost, almost all his life, from like the, I don't know, sweeping the floor all the way, he became to some sort of clerk, but no one really recognized it, no one really uh, uh, paid attention to him. And it was time for him to retire, and no one really, there were a bunch of new people there, and the old people who were there were gone, and the people who knew, no, no one really paid attention to him. And in his mind, <laughs> Twilight, of course, a Twilight Zone episode, so it has to be something weird going on. So the weird thing was that in his mind, he was thinking about killing every single person in the room. <laughs> 
It's a Twilight episode, Twilight Zone. He was thinking about killing everyone. Remember that Twilight Zone, the black and white one, not that black and white Twilight Zone. I missed that. Not that one. Not that one. That was a long. That was the original Twilight Zone. Okay. Uh, yeah, this old man retiring, I think he was given a watch and he, he was thinking about how ungrateful these people are. I've been working all my life. I've, uh, I mean, he, he, he didn't have any family. He, I mean, he, the bank was his life, right? And now he's retiring. People don't really give, didn't really care what, whether he was there or not, it seemed like, okay? So in his mind, even though he seemed like a very quiet guy, very peaceful guy, very... Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you'd never think that if, if, if something went wrong, it would be because of, the, of, 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 this, uh, of, of, this, of this old man. And now I think he was thinking of, he was going to rob the place, and he had to kill the guard, you know, to do, so he was going through this scenario in his mind, okay? So what, am I, what do I think about this example? <laughs> so even though on the outer appearance, your, uh, your actions seem to be saying one thing, but if you allow the, uh, in your mind, uh, like uh, it's okay if the impulse to uh, think in a negative way comes up in your mind. But the thing is for you to entertain that impulse, for you to uh, 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 give more, um, let me say, more fuel to that thought. Like if the impulse, someone does something to you and the impulse comes out to harm this person in return, to retaliate, to take re revenge, and then the impulse comes up, okay, you can't help it, but for you to take that impulse and then to, um, to ride with it, to, to, to now consider, okay, how, what is the best way you can hurt this person? Oh, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna do this, I'll make sure this happens, I'll make sure that happens. So even though you may never, as far as you're concerned, act on those, you're not gonna actually do those things, but because you're, you're entertaining these thoughts, it makes it difficult for you to have this kind of mind. Okay. And the kind of obstacles that you experience even in your own life with your own uh, mundane affairs, you have to consider that it is because of these kinds of thoughts that we be, you are entertaining that makes those, that holds on to those obstacles or makes them, these obstacles uh, manifest in your life. So, Thinking these thoughts in the big, uh, there, there's the trap of getting some sense of satisfaction through these thoughts. And there's a trap because of the sense of satisfaction for you to, for, for that to become a habit. Okay. And when these situations come, especially these very uh, rare situations when someone does like, uh, how many times a day in your life do you get mugged? We don't get mugged, you know, like uh, every day. But if that ha situation happens, we, we are, we are, we are going to depend on those kinds of thoughts that we've been entertaining all, uh, for, for all the years. That's what's going to propel us to, to take an action. Okay. And most likely it may not be an, uh, uh, an action that is done propelled by compassion for the person or love for the person. Okay. At, at, at least, it may be uh, most likely it will be a, a reaction, how do I protect myself? Okay. And when we see this person as the source of harming, and we are convinced of that, then of course we will think about 
maybe I can um, hit him with a brick. <laughs> uh, do I have a, what, what's, what's the heaviest thing I have on me? Uh, things like that, okay? So it's a very simple process and it takes time uh, to be able to develop this attitude that eventually lead to achieving the highest aim that has to do with the kinds of thoughts that we consider in, uh, in the kinds of thought that we consider in our minds. And there's a sutra uh, where the Buddha, the whole sutra is called proper consideration. And what the Buddha is talking about, because you uh, you think this way, you think this way, you think you, you have proper consideration, then it leads to proper uh, view, leads to proper action, and then leads to eventually leads to liberation. And the reason that you have, you, you have problems is because you have improper considerations. That is, the, the kinds of thoughts that you allow in your everyday life that's what really determines your action, and that's what determines the kind of result that you get from life. Okay? So the eight verses, first of all, talks about the beauty of, of, of compassion, the beauty of love. Uh, and, and unlike any riches in the, uh, that, that, that anyone can have, uh, for the little bit of time that I was waiting, I was at Leon's and in... Leon was watching some sort of talk show, and we were talking about the top one percent, how their wealth has increased, quadruple, has quadrupled, and then, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, what else? What was, what was very interesting about that? Uh, anyway, so the people who are pursuing, people who have wealth, and the, and that's a very important thing to them. And they, they are, in, in, a, in a sense, taking refuge in the wealth because they believe that this thing will give me the happiness that I want. Eventually it will. Okay. So even if you were uh, among the 85 people in the world, uh, uh, Leon just gave me that uh, little bit of information, there are 85 people in the world basically on the world, <laughs> in terms of the wealth of the world, 85 people, 85 we are close to 10 billion almost, We're not, not not yet, but you know, soon we get to 10 billion people, but 85 of the, the, those people own half of the world. So the, even owning half of the world is wealth. Even if you were to own the entire wealth of the world, it will not be able to give you what this kind of attitude will be able to give you. Okay, this, Only this attitude can give you the highest aim. So after being enticed with and how do you begin? It begin by how you consider sentient beings. How do you, what kind of thoughts do you have in your mind when you're thinking when the when another person comes in your mind? Okay, if you train your mind in such a way that you sincerely cherish another person, you ch sincerely cherish others. This will lead to achieving this highest aim. Now, while you're trying to hold on to this. Uh, this uh, state of mind that cherishes others, of course, others will make it difficult for you to hold on to this uh, precious kind of uh, cherishing of them. So it gets from it goes from uh, from minor to to all the way to someone that you trust actually betrays you. Okay. So whenever I interact with others, I will view myself as inferior to all. And I will train myself to all other superior 
from the depth of my heart. So you, you, this is, you do this in your mind. You think you see yourself interacting with, with someone else who's not difficult. And then you start to see yourself as someone, uh, when I say as inferior to, to them, it's more for the person who has strong pride, strong, what's called strong, wrong pride. There's right kind of pride and there's a wrong kind of pride. The wrong kind of pride is actually the state of mind that actually destroys your, your own good. Okay? So if you have something good and then you have pride about, uh, 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 because of it, that very pride destroys it. Okay? So for people who are infected with wrong pride, it's best for them to start to think of themselves as, in terms of, I am lower than someone else. And when you think of yourself as lower than someone else, but not in the sense of, of a, a master and a servant kind of low, lower, but more in terms of spiritually evolved kind of sense. I'm spiritually, I'm inferior to others. Others are spiritually superior to me. Okay? Not that everyone can be my boss, anyone can boss me around. Right? Not, that kind of, not that kind of superiority and inferiority. Okay? So you train your mind to think that way. So that way, that pride... Will be uh, will be lessened, but not only are you supposed to do this in terms of, uh, but for those who do do not suffer from pride, but actually from the opposite of pride, where we think we have the the something that for most Tibetans, I'm sure Tibetans now, because they are, a lot of them are uh, have been interacting with Westerns with West Western people, they're starting to develop this kind of disease also. Uh, Tibetans find it very very odd that people can have self-loathing to the point where they don't even have a concept for it. Okay. So for those who suffer from self-loathing, so this verse is talking about the inferior, in, being inferior to all, more in a sense of to see yourself as someone who's more of the, who's, who's, uh, who's there to serve others. So whenever I am with others, may I think of myself as someone to, as someone who's, uh, who should serve them, as, and 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 for them as someone to, who's to who are, who's to be served. Serve in what sense? If you think of what will make this person happy, what can I do to make this person happy? So whenever you're with someone someone else, whenever you're interacting with them, train your mind to think of what will what can I do to make this person happy? How can I make this person happy? What is in within my capacity to make this person happy? Of course, when you're trying to do that, in the beginning, you will come up blank. You will have no idea. You have no idea what will make this person happy, and and sometimes the things that you think about that will make this person happy will actually make this person unhappy. So don't let these my uh, setbacks uh, discourage you from continuing to think this way. Eventually, you become like uh, you become like. Uh, Jumpa in, in how how Jumpa is considered to be like a, a master of this. As soon as you walk into the door, Jumpa somehow knows exactly what will make you happy and it offers it to you. Okay. Of course, he doesn't offer you a car, or doesn't offer you. <laughs> but according to his capacity, what he does is something that you eventually makes you happy. He makes the best butter tea uh, of all <laughs> that I know of. Okay. Even if you don't like butter tea, but you would like Jumpa's butter tea. <laughs> Because he makes it with the, I think, with that set of mind, he wants to make you happy. Okay. All right. So, 
in the beginning, it's just in your mind. You create scenarios. You see yourself interacting with, with others. And then you see yourself thinking about their welfare. You, think, you see yourself thinking about asking yourself, what, how can I do to make this person happy? And also, when you, when you are interacting with others and you notice that you're not thinking about the person's welfare, you're not thinking about what, what can I do to make this person happy? How can my interaction with this person be beneficial to them? If you find yourself thinking in the opposite direct, in the opposite way, where thinking of uh, taking advantage of them, thinking of like in the Dhammapada, oh, this person hurt me that day, this person did this to me. If you find yourself thinking these things, then you have to stop. Okay. As soon as these kinds of thoughts comes in your mind and you are aware of it, then stop. But but how do you actually put this into practice? Can you actually just stop? Because sometimes the thoughts are very strong, and you even though you want to stop them, they just keep coming. And again, it has to do with the same thing of proper consideration. The reason that these impulses seem to have a strong uh, force or strong power over you is because of the consideration you have about these thoughts. You think that these thoughts are proper. You think that these thoughts are actually will help you. Now you have to think that these thoughts are actually think, are endangering you. You have to think of these thoughts are actually uh, undermining your own happiness. So just thinking along these lines of these thoughts, they will that will take away the power that these thoughts have over you. And when you when you intend to stop them then you'll have, you'll have much uh, much power to be able to stop them. And now the situation is getting worse. Okay. Now, when I encounter beings of unpleasant character and those oppressed by intense negative karma and suffering, as though finding a treasure of precious jewels, I would train myself to cherish them, for they are so rarely found. And these are those rare instances, like for example, getting mugged. Well, that's a very strong one, but when you meet someone who's unpleasant, and you know that, you know those kinds of people, when you go into, a, especially, uh, there are so many of them uh, in sanghas. <laughs> okay, there's always someone or a few people that is unpleasant for other people. And then what makes it worse is that there are so many people who uh, agree with you <laughs> that such a person is really unpleasant. So you have to consider this person as a, as a, ah, is an opportunity for you to put my training into practice. Okay, can I, how long <laughs> can I interact with this person before I lose it? <laughs> okay, how long can I interact with this person thinking about this person's benefit, this person's welfare? Okay, you can consider that person that way. And then instead of thinking about how unpleasant this person is, think of this person rather as somebody who's oppressed by intense negative karma. And this person is deeply suffering. Just forget what this person is doing, but rather uh, see what the person is doing in, in the sense of, oh, this is a result of this person's intense suffering. And that will uh, uh, prevent you from falling into the usual habit of thinking about the unpleasant thing of this, the unpleasantness of this person. Because thinking about, oh, oh yes, this is not saying that the, the, the 
to completely disregard the unpleasantness of the person, the unpleasant behavior of this person. Uh, what it's saying is, just looking at just the unpleasantness is not going to help you, it's not going to benefit you, it's not going to benefit the person. And actually, is an obstacle for you to achieve what you really want to achieve. So now, as a skillful means for you to achieve your own aim, because you have to interact in society, there are no more caves <laughs> where you can go and, and, and hide and, and actually be able to, uh, uh, you, know, you go in the wild and there are these wild mushrooms or whatever, or plants. You know, everything is owned by somebody. Okay? Even the caves are owned by people. Okay? You have to, if you find a cave, you have to rent it. <laughs> and you have to pay someone to bring your food. Okay? You can't just, there's no, almost no walls for you to go out and just live anymore. Okay? So you have to interact, you have to be in society, and then there are unpleasant people in society. So how do you skillfully use those situations where you are forced to be with an unpleasant person? And so instead of that event being something that either brings you, strengthens your obstacles, you can actually use it to actually help you. And this also helps the person when they see that you are not interacting in the normal way that other people interact with them. Okay. So if, when, you, when someone is very unpleasant to you or who has an unpleasant character, then, then focus on the, on, on the fact that this person is be act, acting this way because they are suffering. And, and what happens when the mind looks at suffering? Compassion naturally comes up. Okay. And the line where it says, consider that to, uh, you have found a treasure, a very precious, a treasury of precious jewels, a mine of precious jewels. And this person is rare. It's a rare occasion. It's a rare opportunity for you to practice. And the more difficult the person is, the better of an opportunity it is for you. Okay? And the stronger uh, uh, the, the result you get when you're able to react, when you're able to act toward that person, look at that person in, in uh, suffering rather than their unpleasant uh, condition. Now, these are almost like people that you're looking at from a distance, right? When you when you uh, inter interact with them, and, uh, uh, what should be your natural way of of, of, of uh, engaging them? Uh, when you're looking at someone uh, being unpleasant, what kind of thought you should have towards that person? Now it's getting to be uh, more personal, more direct. When others out of jealousy treat you wrongly with abuse and slander. That means they are wrong and they are abusing you with their, uh, out of their wrong um, uh, uh, sense of justice. And what should you do towards such persons who are wrong and you are right and they are abusing you? And here is something that is very difficult to do. You ask to train yourself to take the defeat upon yourself and offer the victory to them. Now, <clears throat> it seems like what this is saying 
is uh, you are allowing others to continue their bad behavior. Someone is doing something wrong to you, and then you 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 give them you you give them uh, the victory if they're wrong. This is more in a sense of remember this is consideration, okay? This is the consideration. Like if you're debating with someone, I mean when you when you go to the monasteries and the people people are debating, the person who's wrong and the person who's right. The person who is right, uh, what does he do? Or the person who thinks he's right, what does he do to the other person? Oh, okay, I, uh, I know you're wrong, but the eight verses said I have to give the victory to you. That's not what they do. No, they fight it out. Debating, that is. They don't you know, punch each other. Some monks actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> when they get cornered and they can't come up with a, a right... Uh, a right response. Sometimes they they, dug, they they duke it out. <laughs> Not a lot of them. <laughs> Rare ones. Okay. So this has to do with, like for example, you are arguing with someone, and the person wrongly, uh, uh, the person is in the wrong position. Okay. So in your own mind, instead of carrying the thought of, oh, this person is wrong, this person is wrong. Remember, this is about, about uh, right, proper consideration, proper thinking, proper mind training. Okay. So what should you do? Instead of, instead of thinking about how they've abused you or how they were wrong to you, have a sense of just, this is uh, what we might call in the West, let it go. Okay. Let it go. And and this is what they're referring to as take the defeat and give them the victory. Because that, in a sense, that, that's the kind of attitude it is when you, when you, when you, uh, when you let it go. Okay? When you let it go, so you're sort of saying, okay, I take the defeat, uh, I give them the victory. Okay? I'm not going to try to defeat them. Okay? I'm not going to try to make sure that I, I'm the one who, 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 who conquers them. It's gone. You had that... Uh, Whatever uh, came up made the situation stop. And this, of course, is not talking about uh, uh, being beaten, of course, physically beaten. Okay? If you're being physically beaten, uh, to give the defeat and take the victory, is, and you've seen these in uh, uh, martial arts movies, probably. I, I've seen it in martial arts movies, where the, the, the top master, somebody who's like, you know, who can... We can, uh, I don't know, um, uh, punch a hole in the earth or something. <laughs> and then some wise guy comes to them, and then, and the wise guy, you know, starts abusing them, starts cursing them out, and the person, the person knows that they, they can defeat that person, but they take the defeat and say, okay, all right, you win, I lose, and, and they walk away. Okay. So it's in, in almost in that kind of a, a sense of sh chivalry. You're supposed to uh, accept the defeat and give the victory. But more in a sense, this is more, remember, this is more once, once the argument is gone, what, how is your mind treating the argument? And this is where uh, hatred can fester. This is where hatred can be strengthened. So rather to have that, so give them the, give, have, just let it go. Okay. 
And now the, the next verse talks about someone. Now this is someone who is uh, probably uh, was already a stranger or an enemy. Somebody you don't know. Now this is somebody you know. This is not being stabbed in the back. Okay? Someone you've trusted. Someone you've helped before. And they turn around and they hurt you. They mistreat you. And the way you're supposed to tr uh, train your mind to regard this person, think of this person as your sublime teacher. Now in Buddhism, to say, to, uh, especially in Mahayana Buddhism, to say, to consider this person as my sublime teacher is to equally to say uh, uh, for a, uh, a, a theist, to, say th to consider this person as God. Okay? So somebody who, who you helped in the past stabs you in the back, think of this person as God. Think of this person as a sublime teacher. Think of this person as the Buddha. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that you're supposed to somehow convince yourself that this person is actually was the actual the actual Buddha, and somehow you, you, uh, there's something wrong with you? Why didn't you see that this person was the Buddha trying to help you, and because of your uh, delusion, you saw yourself being stabbed in the back? No, you were stabbed in the back. That's what, that's what the verse is saying. Yes, you were stabbed in the back. What should you do when you are really stabbed in the back? Okay? Don't pretend you weren't stabbed in the back. But rather, when you're thinking about the person, think that the person has taught you a lesson. And whatever ways you can think of this person has taught you a lesson. I should never act, interact with these kind of people anymore in the future. <laughs> this will teach me. <laughs> You know, this kinds of, in, in some way, think of this person as taught you a lesson. And then, because, and then, not in a, in a sarcastic way to think of this person as taught you a lesson, but really see the situation as having taught you something. Learn something from that situation. Okay? And something, something practical. Perhaps you were weak in a particular area that allowed this person to stab you in the back. Now you are aware of that weakness. You can think of it that way. And now this person sort of pointed your weakness to you. And then because you've really learned that, you say, oh, this person behaved as my teacher. This was a teaching situation for me. I learned something from that. Okay. Now I'm not going to allow this to happen in the future. I'm not going to be... Uh, you can even think that I'm not going to create a relationship with others where eventually they will stab me in the back. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't... And this is where people who were hurt in the past, especially by loved ones, they think that now expending love is a danger, is a dangerous thing to do, because they're, making, they're only making yourself vulnerable. Okay? It's not because this person loved that this person was became vulnerable. Okay? You have to, when you think, uh, in the first verse, when you're asked to think about love and so that you can develop this sort of uh, admiration and aspiration for love, you must th also think of love as also one of the benefits of pure love is clarity of mind. You can, loving someone doesn't mean that you're blind to their faults. Okay? You be, their faults become clear to you, but, but, 
it's not something for you to be fixated on so that it, it becomes uh, uh, aversion for the person, but rather it becomes uh, uh, something for you to focus on, for your compassion to focus on. Oh, this is where this person needs help. This is where I, I see this person can be helped. Okay. All right, so now then the last, the next to the last verse, in brief, I will train myself to offer benefits and joy to all my mothers, both directly and indirectly. And res respectfully, um, I don't know why Tilden Jimba translated it as respectfully, but in other places it is, it is translated as secretly. Secretly? Yeah, secretly. Secretly take upon myself all the hurts and pains of my mothers. And this is, this is something that is very, that is difficult for, some, for a spiritual practitioner to be secret, to be secretive about uh, those spiritual qualities that you are developing, especially in the situations, in difficult situations, where you feel, where you feel that I think this person needs to see those spiritual qualities of mine so that this person wouldn't treat me this way. <laughs> if only this person knew that I was training my mind to love everyone, this person wouldn't treat me this way. <laughs> okay. And then we find ways of trying to sneak, sneak, uh, sneakily let people know that we are doing high practices. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh, among Vajrayana practitioners, we talk about these teachings that we have received, this kind of initiation that we have taken, so that others can re regard us highly. Oh, this person is a high spiritual practitioner. He got this initiation and that initiation. He's doing this kind of practice. So, so others can have this high regard for us. And here, you should, uh, you're supposed to be taking the hurt of others secretly. Upon you. No one is supposed to know that, you, that you're taking the hurts of uh, the pain of others upon yourself. You're supposed to do it secretly, and many, and there will become there will there will be many uh, situations where you will feel tempted to reveal the secret that you that that you are spirit, that you you know that you uh, that you're generous, uh, uh, so you give to make sure that everyone is looking at you while you're giving. Uh, uh, you make an announcement about uh, some donation you made. Uh, uh, the person who, uh, uh, you, someone who's in help, someone who, who's uh, uh, in need of something, you, you let them know that, oh, by the way, you know, uh, the reason that you're happy right now is because I did this and that. So it's, it, and it becomes tempting to do that, especially because uh, it, when it seems like people, you're not, you're not being noticed. It's like that old man in the bank. <laughs> you're not being noticed, and you feel like you need to do something to be noticed. Almost like uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's it's human nature. Some we need feedback. Okay. So what this is talking about is 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 uh, not only uh, things like uh, practicing. Generosity, practice, practicing virtue in secret, but it's, it's talking specifically about a, a practice uh, called everybody in here knows about it, Tonglen, where you are in your own mind when you see someone suffering, 
you really want to be able to suffer, to be the one to take that person's place. You will suffer for them. You, you will give them your, your, your whatever uh, sense of happiness you have and you will take on their, their, their suffering. And you're supposed to do this secretly. And, and secretly that is mentioning is that with your breath, as you're breathing. So try to do this when you're in the subway, when you're walking around and you see someone suffering, immediately make a wish. May, may I be the one, may, may this pain ripen upon me and may my happiness ripen upon this person. And let that be a real, uh, a real wish, a real aspiration. Don't just think of it as some sort of technique for you to get something that you, for you to get something, but rather that thinking in in a sense of uh, I'm going to be the one suffering uh, what this person is suffering, and this person is going to be free from it. This person is going to have my happiness, the happiness that I'm is already too little for me. Okay, I'm going to give it away. Okay, and this kind of attitude uh, you will get a high from it at a certain point where it becomes very pleasant. And if you're not able to maintain your, 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 your uh, strength of your practice, then the, uh, it's the same thing where, uh, uh, I forgot exactly where, but you know, in the Bible somewhere where, the, where Jesus is talking about when you pray, go in your closet. When you fast, you know, dress nicely. Don't, 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 you know, don't, don't walk around, you know, like as if you're starving. So people can say, oh, look at that pious person uh, 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 fasting. But rather, do it in secret. And he said, uh, if you don't do it in secret, you're doing it. You're doing. You're not doing anything more than what worldly people are doing. You're not. You, it's like uh, it's the same thing as allowing the eight worldly thoughts, the eight worldly concerns to stain your spiritual practice. Okay? So un just have the conviction that this is a great action and it will have a great result. And what I'm experiencing now is not yet the result of this great action. People are not noticing, people are mistreating you, people are disrespectful to you, even though in your mind, you take the you take the suffering of the world in, in your heart. Even in your mind, you you're giving away everything. Even secretly, uh, you, 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 the reason that you are destitute all the time is because whenever you, anything comes to you, you, give it away to someone, and no one knows that you that you're doing that. Even the person who's receiving it may not even know that you're the one who's doing it. Just understand that this powerful practice, its result is the highest aim. So don't let your mind be tempted by not seeing any uh, result and what seems to be that others are not appreciating this, this thing that you're doing in secret. And don't be tempted to tell someone, by the way, you know, <laughs> by the way. Okay. The, reason, the reason that you didn't lose your house is because I give, you, I give the landlord your, <laughs> paid your rent for you. <laughs> Just, just with regard to the word respectfully, I was thinking, of why would he use the word? And yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. maybe the reason he used the word is mm -hmm. because um, the idea is that the person that you're doing it for, right, mm -hmm. if they know anything about the fact that you're doing it, or if you make it known in some way, publicly, they'll feel some burden, they'll feel some obligation. Uh, and this uh, way, respectfully means to sort of not place them in a position 
would they feel the slightest obligation? Oh, or yeah, that's, that's a very good... I uh, couldn't think of otherwise why you'd use it. Yeah, that's a very yeah. good reason. That's, that's not a good uh, reason why you would use it. I have a couple questions about yeah. that. Um, it, it makes sense to me, but it still doesn't a little bit, um, like, when you're going about it and you don't, when you're doing it secretly, um, when, how do you rejoice with it? Knowing that what you're doing is a good deed, and knowing that the 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 result of a good deed is is something great, so it, it's having conviction in the power of action and no results. Okay, yeah. and then like say you are fasting, mm-hmm. and somebody's like, "Well, why are you, why aren't you eating?" And you're like, "Well, I'm fasting." I find that. In this example too, mm-hmm. if you're fasting and you and you tell somebody why you're doing it, I've inspired people to fast. Or mm-hmm. like, if you're if you tell them why you're doing it, you're you inspire them, inspire mm-hmm. them to do it mm-hmm. instead of like not telling them. Then oh no, it doesn't mean that never tell anyone. It's when the compulsion to tell is really. Uh, Cherishing. Yeah, some, some sort of self-cherishing. Like if you can see that this person can be uh, benefited, this person can uh, this this will help this person to know that oh, they can fast by seeing me fasting, and then and then you can fast out of these reasons rather than some other worldly reason, whether it's for your health or whether for whatever reason. Then yeah, you can tell this person. But as you're telling this person, it's not so that this person can can. It's not so that that will become the result of your fasting, but rather uh, this will encourage the person. And 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 whether the person uh, uh, is inspired or not, is not the result that you're of, of telling the person. But just from the motivation of this will help this person. This it seems like this person has been asking for what I'm doing. And I am clear that this is what will help this person. So let me tell this person. And it will be, will be not just I've heard it, but I'm doing it. So that will give them, uh, the person more of, uh, uh, will trust what you're saying more than if you just said you read it somewhere. Yes, you can tell someone, or oh, I secretly give money to so-and-so, if it will inspire that person. But... Even if it will inspire that person, if the reason that you're telling this person is that the person is going to think, oh, wow, this is a great spiritual being. If that's your motivation, it's like uh, that example of the, the, the yogi in the cave who's been meditating in the cave for a long time and then all he's thinking about, wow, they must think I'm a great yogi by now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Is she the one that stepped on the rock? Step on the is she the one that stepped on the rock coming back into town? No, no, that's a different one. You know, a lot of this seems to be to protect oneself mm-hmm. instead of to love the other person. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that the loving the other person has to be there anyway. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's... Yeah, I see what you mean. It's all about... But it's, it's really what you're doing, This, this, the eight verses of mind training is really for someone who's already has, you could say, as a, uh, let's say, uh, 
is already so someone who's already compassionate. And how how do you interact with others to protect that compassion? So you you still want to be able to react, interact with others out of compassion, out of love. So that's already like a given. So mm -hmm. how do you behave? How do you interact in such a way that your compassion for others is protected? Mm -hmm. So when you encounter such such situation, well, how should you think so that your compassion is protected? Mm -hmm. Now. Uh, The very first verse is where the, the training to develop the compassion sort of takes place. And all the other verses are to protect that, what you have developed. So if you somehow come to a point where you cherish all beings, you cherish them uh, out of love, you cherish them because you love them, because you have compassion for them, then when you actually encounter them, how do you protect that? that consideration, you know, that uh, emotion. Um, so I, I mentioned uh, last time about uh, it doesn't matter what method you use, basic, uh, uh, that's why in Tibetan Buddhism they, they say there's only two ways of developing a bodhicitta, the, the, the universal compassion, universal love. It's where you take consideration in terms of someone who is dear to you. And of course, the, the, the person that is uh, always taken as a, an example of that in almost every culture is your mother, or the ideal mother. Okay, so you take that, and then you consider that, and you try to see everyone as that person. Uh, the second point, the second method is through uh, how self is cherished how someone cherishes their, their, their sense of self. And you take that as something and you try to see others as that self. So, so these are the basically the two ways of developing a, a bodhicitta. And of course, every, there are other, web, other methods, but they all come from, from, from that. Okay. So the, the, the first one, the example that is giving is to... Uh, try to see everyone as your mother. But even nowadays, uh, Dalai Lama and other uh, high teachers say, if, if you have difficulty with mother because of the difficulties you had with your mother, then you can just think of someone. You can think of an, an, of an example of someone who has demonstrated to you uh, a great love. And then you can idealize that person. And then and when you and try to, in some way, see others as that person. The method that is used is to think, if, if, you, if you're someone who already accepts uh, uh, rebirth, then you can think of, oh, this, uh, since there are endless rebirth, this person must have been that way toward, towards me. And of course, this method, this way of reasoning, has nothing to do with finding the truth whether or not this person was really a mother to you, and, whether, and when that person was a mother to you, if that person was a real nice mother for, for you. That's not the point of it. The point of it, the point of it is, is if the line that you're allowing your mind to think, you, you, you structure that line of thought. Okay? If you think of ideal mother or ideal relationship, ideal, uh, the ideal brother, ideal sister, ideal spouse, ideal whoever, and you can think of 
and why you consider that to be ideal. You think of all the, the, the ways that that person, or that relationship is ideal. Then you try to make everyone into that person. Okay. Then, because of that, then you will naturally develop a, a, a universal kind of compassion for everyone because you regard everyone somehow you make yourself regard everyone that way you train your mind to be to that way because uh, there are people that you are considering who were a precious mother to you and because if rebirth is true if it's endless and the possibilities of relationship are endless then this person was also the worst person that you would have ever, ever met in your life once in one of those lives. And if that's the line of thought that you will develop, that you, that you think, that you consider, then you will develop universal hatred. <laughs> okay? You will hate everyone because you think, oh, this, everyone in, at some point in my life would treat me the worst way anyone could treat me. And that could be true also. But is that going to be helpful to you? Is that going to be beneficial to you? Is that going to be beneficial to someone else? No. But if you consider that everyone in the stream of endless lives was a precious mother to you, or a precious friend to you, or a precious father to you, and if you keep just thinking along that line, then your mind will, will naturally have the natural response towards that consideration. Okay. So to develop this almost impossible kind of regard called universal love begins with simply proper consideration. How you train your mind to consider others. What comes in your mind when you're thinking of others. And it has, has something to do with how they are treating you. Okay. It has nothing to do with disregarding how they are treating you. Because you, you are going to think about others. You can't help it. Okay. You're going to be thinking about others. Even if you're in your cave, if you somehow find that last cave that where you can be by yourself. Okay. That last cabin that was abandoned and it's, it's in perfect condition. And you're surrounded by a, by a garden with, with uh, everything. I mean, every kind of food you want. You don't have to go to the supermarket. Okay. Somehow, if you're even in that all by yourself, you will still be thinking about others. And how you think about others will affect you. So since it's going to happen anyway, since it's happening anyway, try to direct it in such a way where you are benefited from it. And the Buddha said in, uh, in many, many sutras, what really benefits you, really, just by ben being a real benefit to you, automatically benefits, uh, benefits others. So it's what time is it? 8.25. 8.25. Okay, we should have ended uh, a while ago. Uh, everybody knows how to do Tonglen. I don't have to explain that. Sincerely <laughs> uh, wish to take the uh, pain of others and the cause of their pain and see them being, and see their pain destroyed by that very compassion and that love that you have for them. And sincerely give away or wish to give, aspire to give away your own happiness to others. That's Tonglen. And there are many different ways of doing that. Different visualizations, different uh, mental exercises with your breath, 
with, uh, with light, with, uh, you know, whatever works for you. But that's the main thing. Holding compassion, holding love in your heart, and then give and take. Now, the last part has to do with wisdom, which is a, an, an, another kind of, the last part of universal love. And that's where I'll end briefly. Uh, the universal love that is perfect is not something that you're going to develop. I'm not saying that for, uh, give up, you're never going to get there. It is something you could say that is already an intrinsic aspect of mind. Because it is non-dual with the nature of existence, the nature of being. You can even say it is like a coin that has two sides. It's still one coin, one truth. But depending on how you look at it, on one, one side you, you see what may be termed to be uh, uh, a, a cognition or cognitive element. And on the other side, is what you might you might call a, a being element, or a, 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 for lack of a better word, I'll, I'll say an emotion. Okay, right. And and it's not, and you can never separate them, separate them. Okay, you cannot. You there is there is not any kind of surgery you can do even though you can sort of imagine splitting a coin in, in half with laser, <laughs> but you still have, now you have two coins that has two sides each. So there's always gonna be two sides. So you cannot take away, you can't, just like you can not absolutely take away one side of a coin, you cannot separate these two, the emotional aspect and the cognitive aspect, okay? So the cognitive aspect has to do with the fact that uh, the unfindability or the unfind the unfindness oh boy the inability to to be found okay everything that exists if it exists when you want to find it that is find it in an ultimate sense its nature is such that it cannot be found. That is its nature. So that would be the cognitive element. And what allows for this impossibility to take place is intrinsic in is intrinsic in that fact has to do with also the complete interdependence of things. And this interdependence of things is, you could say, uh, 
because not any one element can extract itself from the rest of reality and still somehow maintain itself. So the only, the only means through which it can have any existence is because others are the same. You get that? Because there is not any one thing you can find in, in, in existence that you can somehow extract from all other things. Completely extract it from all other things and then be able to is completely isolate it. And that's true for that one thing you're trying to, to, to remove. It is true for anything in existence. That is their nature. They are non-isolatable. <laughs> Making a lot of words tonight here. <laughs> they are non-isolatable. Yet, to what they owe their existence. It is they owe their existence. The only reason that they exist is because they are non-isolatables. And by definition, non-isolatable mean depend, depending on others. So whatever exists exists because of a mutual dependence. And you can say that this mutual dependence is that emotional aspect, is what I'm referring to as that emotional aspect, is what is referred to as love. If anything can somehow find a way of completely destroying another thing, that thing will destroy itself. Because it, in order for it to exist, it needs others to continue to exist. So this is where I'm say, talking about universal love is not something you're going to develop. It's something that's already intrinsic in nature. If you align yourself with universal love, then in uh, Mahayana and in Tantra, it is called the aligning yourself with the creative... Ooh, give me a big word here, with creative. The creative power, the creative... Uh, Oh, give me something scientific. Creative nexus. <laughs> Creative matrix. <laughs> so what you do, you align yourself with what allows existence, with what allows manifestation to take place. Okay. So, you know, in a sense, think of non-entified creative force, okay? So, you, you experience your being as being that creative force, but not in a dualistic way. Not that, oh, now, I see that I'm the one who created all this. But you see yourself as 
to put it in a very uh, mystical way, unfortunately, that's the only thing I can think of where I can describe it. It's like the created is the creator. The created is the creator, that part, or before that? Yeah. Okay. And and it's even if it goes even beyond the idea of thinking I have become a creator. It's even beyond that. But even though that phrase is not completely false, but it's not, it's, it's not complete in itself. Yeah. Okay. So, this is one of the reasons why I keep emphasizing that this, this universal love, this universal compassion is a might, it's a power. It's not just some abstract sentiment that poets uh, uh, like to write about. Okay. It is the very reason that there is existence. It is existence itself. Okay. The very nature of things points to it. I guess, in a way, that was the eighth verse. <laughs> um, so just the last thing you said, mm -hmm. I mean, there's kind of a meme of, uh, you know, it's kind of it's the idea that when you get to a very deep understanding, you, you, see, you see that it's, it's all coming from me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, what I'm hearing from you, what I'm hearing from you, is, mm -hmm. is it, there's, there's sort of a deeper way to think of it, which is like it's, it's all dependent on us. Yeah. So is that a yeah. better oh, way to... That's a nicer way of saying it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the other one... But you're building up me. Yeah. The other way. Like, dude, you're just e my karma. Kind of. yeah, it builds yeah. up on, on the ego. Yeah. 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 That's a nicer way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like it. Somehow when you said something you said before, it just it kind of sucked the locus, right? That's uh. a horrible way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> that creative locus right out of right out of it. Yeah. You think of it, you're, you're shrinking into something smaller and smaller, and you're you are becoming something, and, but but then the focus isn't even there anymore, right? Yeah. There's no nexus there. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I don't like it. It's it seems more <laughs> true. <laughs> okay. It's scarier. Uh, uh, there was there's this. Uh, it's very bad that I don't remember his name. There was a time when I was. I w the way I would read a book was, oh, that's a nice cover, and I <laughs> and I look inside. And say, oh, that's very nice. And I I put a book back. Never go back to the book again. Uh, so I have no. I don't remember exactly <laughs> who who wrote this thing that stuck with me when he was describing bodhicitta. He described bodhicitta as the fuel that takes you to enlightenment, and the fuel that perpetuates enlightenment. And he went on 
to describing this not just in an abstract way. So what is referred to as Kundalini, he said, he said that's bodhicitta. Kundalini is bodhicitta. All right, so there you have it. I have to Google that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. uh, well, there's supposed to be a meditation also. <laughs> we could skip it if, if you'd like to run considering the weather. I, yeah, I'm getting concerned. <laughs> you. Okay, all right. At this point. Uh, the taxi going up the hill. The bus trying to go up the hill. <laughs> Victory Boulevard might be a defeat. We may probably make it tomorrow morning, eventually. <laughs> okay. All right. So just let's do a dedication. Um, just us talking about this incredible topic is meritorious, filled with merit. So let's dedicate, let's think of things going on in our lives and in the world that needs, uh, that needs some, uh, to share this merit.
You're going to make it okay? All the way through the wilds of Queens? <laughs> yes, I believe so. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.